Welcome to another episode of Singled In, a gathering place for single members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in their 30s and 40s, also known as mid-singles. I'm Oliver. And I'm Lindsay. Today, we are privileged to be joined by the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Ben Shalati. Hello. <laughs> we're, so, <laughs> we're so excited to have you, Ben. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about belonging in wards and also advocating for yourself in your ward and stake. And there's no one better to talk about that than Ben, who has a lot of fun experience in that as kind of a leader in the LGBTQ community in the church and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Mm -hmm. uh, ben has written a book. It's called A Walk in My Shoes. He just showed it to us. Great book. Um, yeah. And he has a wonderful podcast called Questions from the Closet that he does with Charlie Bird. And they're in like, you're in your fourth season, maybe? Fifth? Yeah, the seasons, we don't, there's no planning. We're like, you know oh, what, tired. let's take two months off, so. Yeah, I think that's going to be us too. Anyway, it's the best podcast. <laughs> Definitely recommend oh, listening. You. Yeah, listening to a lot of episodes. I mean, mm -hmm. there's so many, like, really quality episodes, good interviews, really beautiful thoughts and ideas, so, yeah. <laughs> Some good insight, yeah. Yeah, we're both super fans, and... Ben is, um, he has a master's in social work. He also has a PhD in Spanish. That's um, cool. It's in second language acquisition and teaching. Oh, so. there you go. Okay, okay. Even better. Yeah. So yeah, he went back to school uh, to get his master's in social work. I mean, he, you can talk about this too. I, I'm guessing it was to be an advocate for the LGBTQ community in the church. <laughs> Definitely. And he works full-time at BYU as an honor code administrator. So Definitely an interesting place to be um, as a gay member of the church. But yeah, Ben, ben fill in any gaps. What else are we missing? You know, uh, the only thing you miss is I'm an award-winning author. So I won an award once. That's oh, fine. what was your award? I think I saw uh, something. It was for the LDS PMA, which is Latter-day Saints in Production, Media, and the Arts. I won an award. I won Best Self-Help Slash Resource Book. So uh -huh. yeah, yeah, it's an incredible book. I thought after category. I love that. Yeah. Also, Ben is a mid-single. He is attends a mid-singles ward in Provo that I attended at one point too. So that's our connection. And so I'm 39 now, but fun fact, Lindsay, you and I were in a, a YSA ward many, many Yes, ago. we were. Oh, wow. Roman Gardens, uh, oh, BYU Housing. <laughs> long time <laughs> I love that you still remember the name of the ward. <laughs> well, yeah, that was like the apartment complex. It was a good one. There was a pool in the middle. So, you know, that's, you oh. know, you're like doing well when you got a pool. Classic. And it had these chastity walls to like separate the guy's side from the girl's side. It was so funny. Oh, that's true. I forgot about that. So you couldn't walk out, out of your apartment and walk next door to the guy's apartment. Yeah, you had to like walk down the stairs, to the main floor, then go back up, even though the, the walkway would have been connected. Yeah. yeah oh, wow. That'll, pre that'll prevent, you know, the fornication from happening. <laughs> <laughs> But they do encourage you guys to date, but mind the wall. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, mind the wall. <laughs> hey, you have to put some effort into it, please. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, do you really want this? Prove it. <laughs> Again, our topic is belonging, advocacy at church. I think this is something a lot of different groups deal with singles. Uh, we have plenty in our ward that in addition to be, being single are dealing with other um, sort of barriers or things that 
sometimes make it difficult to engage at church. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Ben is for sure a pro at this, just learning about different initiatives he's done over the years in his wards and stakes and finding a place to be his authentic self. Like I really always learn a ton from Ben. So yeah, I'm so excited to chat. Maybe you could start out by telling us what like ideal belonging looks like or times where you felt that when it's done right, I guess. Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, for me, belonging means that you can be yourself and not have to pretend you can just be who you are and and feel like people love you and are kind to you and you don't have to hide anything. Um, and I think the first place I was able to do that was in Tucson, Arizona. Uh, so I did my PhD in Tucson. I'm, I'm 39 now, but when I was 30 years old, I came out publicly uh, on my blog back in the day. And that was a really scary thing for me to do. Like my my family knew that I was gay and my close friends knew, but most people didn't. And around the time I was 30, I was like, you know what? I've got to just stop hiding. This is exhausting. I just want to be honest about what's going on in my life. And so I came out when I was teaching uh, elder quorum in my YSA ward. And I didn't tell the bishop or anyone I was going to do that. I was just teaching elders quorum and I just felt prompted to do it. And it was awesome. People were just so loving and so kind. Uh, and then just shortly after that, I turned 31. So I, I graduated without honors from the singles ward. And, <laughs> and there wasn't a mid-singles ward in Tucson. So I started attending a Spanish branch. And that was uh, a place where I wasn't sure it was okay to come out. You know, lots of conservative oh. people from Mexico. And I wasn't just, I just wasn't sure how people would respond. And this was back in 2015 when the Obergefell ruling happened and gay marriages became legal nationwide. So we had a whole lesson about it in church. And so I almost didn't go to go to the lesson. I was like, I don't know if I want to have this conversation in my ward. Mm-hmm. And so I walked into the relief side room, like, like where we we're going to have this lesson. And I just remember praying. I was saying, Heavenly Father, I'm not going to say anything today, but if you want me to, you have to make it really obvious. So mm-hmm. in the middle of the lesson, my hand just went up in the air. And, <laughs> and I said all in Spanish. And I said, you know, there are a lot of people, uh, I, you know, I said, we're, we're talking about LGBTQ people, like they're a separate group from us Latter-day Saints. But there are a lot of people who are LGBTQ and are Latter-day Saints who want to be part of our congregations. And I said, and I am one of those people. Hmm. And cool. then the, the branch president walked right over to me, gave me a high five and told everyone that I was his hero. And yeah. they talked about his daughter who was gay, who had left the church. And, and he got emotional. He talked about how much he loved her. And then yeah. the whole conversation shifted from how do we make sure that, that our, our branch is a place where we want people to be able to be able to come. And it just happened with me just feeling prompted to just tell the reality of my life. And then uh, I remember at the end of that day, we sang, at the end of that lesson, we sang families can be together forever. And I just like had this intense feeling that the people in the room were my family, like that we all belong to each other. And then after that, that, that branch got connected with another branch and became a ward. And it was all the way across town. I didn't want to drive across town. So I started going to an English family ward and I didn't know the bishop. Um, I'd never met him before, but he called me into his office uh, to invite me to give a talk. So we were chatting. He's like, I know about your situation. And he like couldn't even say the word gay. Mm-hmm. Um, but he's like, well, we love you. And we're so glad to have you. And I was like, that's great. And I was giving a talk that day. And so I asked if it'd be okay if I came out in my talk, you know, as, as part of the, the message I wanted to share. And he said, I don't see why that would be a problem. Then I got up to the pulpit. And as part of, you know, a story I wanted to share, I, I talked about being gay. 
And it was such a wonderful experience to just not have to hide. And the, there was a receiving line of like half a dozen people after my talk just, who I didn't know, just loving me and welcoming me and hugging me and, and saying they were so glad to have me in the ward. And that was the, th these were the first places where I just didn't have to hide and I could feel like I could be me. And to this day, the Campbell ward in Tucson, Arizona is Zion to me. You know, I, I didn't always wow. talk to being gay, but when it came up organically, I was happy, uh, like I was able to do it and people just loved and embraced me. And so th that's what belonging means to me, where you could just be your whole self and not hide any part of you and people love you and embrace you. Oh, I love that. Man, I love that you had that experience at a Spanish branch. And like you mentioned earlier, that's a very, it's a very conservative of people mm -hmm. and they're able to be so open and welcoming to you and your experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I honestly, it was, it was, I would, it was not what I, what I expected, but they were good people. They just, yeah. they knew how to love. Yeah. Absolutely. I will say that as uh, also as a gay man of the church, a gay member of the church, our mid-singles ward has been very gracious. Like they've been very accepting. I haven't had any problems yet, but I will say there was a couple of Sundays ago, an elders quorum lesson. And I kind of felt like maybe I should say something, but there is also that fear like, okay, maybe now is not the time. So there is, there are moments like that, but I'm glad that you had that moment where you're like, Hey God, like, if you want me to say something, you know, help me say it. And then you, like you said, your, your hand just went up <laughs> and you're able to express yourself and say who you really are. Yep. Of course. What advice do you have for those who don't feel like there's a place uh for them at church? Yeah. Um, so for people who don't feel like there's a place for them at church, that, that's tough. And honestly, I feel like most people at some point in their life have this feeling, you know, even people who, you know, are, are married and straight and have kids who like feel like they fit the model, you know, you know bishops and stake presidents and relief site presidents, you know, things happen where they often feel like they don't belong. It could be, you know, be, because of divorce or like struggling with, with their kids or infertility or being a person of color. I think a lot of us at whatever, for whatever reason, feel like we don't fit in. And mm -hmm. I think that's just part of the human experience. And so if someone's feeling like they don't belong or they don't fit in, you know, I would just kind of like take a step back and sit with that feeling, you know, just, just allow yourself to, to have that feeling. Um, Cause it's okay to be sad. It's okay to be discouraged. Uh, those are just normal human emotions. Uh, and then I would take another step back and say, okay, well, where, the, where is this coming from? What's making me feel like I don't fit in? Is there something that I can do about that? And, you know, we all have agency. And so if we don't fit in, then there's usually something we can do to, to find a place or make our place. Uh, once again, when I lived in Tucson, uh, I started a support group for LGBTQ uh, Larry Saints in my stake. And, you know, that was something that had never happened before. But I was like, you know what? Uh, sometimes I feel like I don't fit in. I kind of want to be with people who have similar experiences with me every once in a while. And so I started a support group and it grew to three dozen people. Uh, in the the two years that I ran it, and that was such a beautiful experience. And so, for someone who feels like they don't belong, I would I would I would ask myself, you know, what agency do I have in this situation to change what's happening? Because we're agents to act, not to be acted upon. And there are always things that we could do. And and depending on on how someone feels like they don't fit in, they can use their agency in different ways. But I would say, how can you move forward to find a place that you do belong? Mm, yeah. How can you carve out some space? Yeah. Was there a time? in your church career where you kind of had to work through that yourself? 
Yeah, you know, there have been lots of really small moments where I know like no one's trying to make me feel excluded, but like I'll be an elders, like I'll be an elders quorum and someone will say, well, you know, all of us are hoping to, to get married soon. And I'm like, well, yeah. not me. You know, we're just going like, to make assumptions about everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so th- those kinds of things happen where where people just like make general assumptions. And and I, I know people don't mean to do this, but people off at church often talk about how like how wicked the world is and like the world is bad, but we are good. And mm. and then often LGBTQ people get thrown in with like with this like the world is bad. Mm. Um, so, but I mean, you know, th- those are those are little things, but things that kind of make me feel like I I don't belong. Um, definitely the 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 strongest time or the biggest time I ever felt like I, I didn't belong was was in in our ward, Lindsay. And this was mm-hmm. uh, I was in the elders' form presidency at the time, and in a comment in a lesson, uh, I mentioned being gay as part of my comment. You know, everyone knew I was gay. I, I was totally out. I wasn't hiding. Um, I'd already given a talk at church where I where I'd mentioned that, so it was no secret. So I mentioned being gay mm-hmm. in the comments, and afterwards, a member of the quorum came up to me and said that I shouldn't talk about my perversions at church. Mm. and that was super painful yeah and, and it wasn't just this past like this comma like don't talk about your perversion of the church but he then explained to me for quite a while how that was mm. inappropriate and I tried to defend myself but he just wasn't listening and we ended up talking for about 40 minutes oh, and nice. um it just like we were on the same page and and he talked the majority of the time and I remember walking in the hall and just thinking I don't want to come back here like I don't want to come back here and then as I, uh, you know, pushed open the doors to walk out to the parking lot, I just felt like very strongly, just like the spirit say, forgive him. He, he doesn't know what he's doing. Uh-huh. And, and I found that that's the case. Most of the time when people are unkind, it's just because they don't know better. And if they knew better, they would do better. And here I was trying to help him know better, uh, but he just wasn't in a place to listen. And uh-huh. that might've been him. Maybe I wasn't being the kind of gentle teacher I should have been, you know, I, I don't know. But that was a really tough day. And then um, mm-hmm. I did not talk about being gay in church for the next six months. Like oh, I, wow. Like I was afraid to. And then I was teaching a lesson in Elder's Forum six months later. And I just like felt the spirit say, Ben, you got to share the story. And, mm-hmm. and, I, and that was a scary thing to like reset mm-hmm. that space where I could be hurt. And so it's hard when we talk openly and, and that can lead to hurt. Absolutely. That sounds really painful. Like 40 minutes of that like you trying to be understood and not being understood yeah and being chastised by a yeah a church leader I think I actually remember I mean I don't remember hearing about this till later years later when you talked about it more publicly but I remember we were in the ward my actually my first Sunday was when you gave that talk in church it was super beautiful and you did have a line of people lined up to talk to you afterward yeah. um but then I remember, you know, I don't know how many weeks or months had gone by. I was like, hey, Ben, how are you liking the ward? And you're like, uh, it's tricky. And I, it was just, or I don't know exactly what you said, but the sentiment was like, sometimes people are difficult, you know? <laughs> and so, yeah, I think you were in the middle of that or just kind of like trying to figure out what was best for you and where you needed to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and, and of yeah. course, like, I didn't talk about that on purpose, because, uh, you know, I've got a platform that's large enough that people might wonder who I was talking about. Sure. I, and I didn't want anyone to think or wonder. And so I waited till till that person was gone. Yeah. Uh, so that there wouldn't be any shade on that person. So I, I didn't want sure. anyone to that. I just wanted to, yeah, you know, I want to talk about an experience and not have it pinned on any one person. Right. We don't need to, like, put ongoing shame on people for the ways that they've maybe not approached it correctly but just move forward and be better you know that's like the goal <laughs> so, yeah yeah 
I do feel like this is an interesting topic that we're talking about, just because, especially for mid-singles, because I feel like in the YSA, you don't necessarily have to advocate for yourself, just because I think you're, you're young, you're having fun, you're not really worried about what your, you know, your future looks like. You're just, you know, you're there to have fun, you're there, you're there to mingle, and you're there to date. And then you go to the mid-singles ward, and you're more grown up, mm-hmm. you have more of an idea of what your future's, what it's supposed to look like, or you want it to look like. And you're kind of, you know, on your on your own, because at the YSA, you're still kind of like relying on your parents just relying on like adults in your life. In the mid singles ward, you are the adult. And so that's when you got to learn to like advocate for yourself and decide on, okay, what is okay? What's not okay? How do I change this? And how how do I do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, and building off of that, you know, one thing that was nice for me. So my, my coming out publicly coincided with my turning 31. And so I don't know why we have this impression. The church was like, when you turn 31, it's kind of like you failed at getting married. Yeah. It's like you failed. And that also happened like while I came out publicly, like around the same time. And so it was like, Oh, Ben didn't get married. And here is why. And so like all this marriage pressure was like suddenly gone, just like doubly gone. And no one was trying to get me married anymore, which was so nice. I love that so much. But now once like I, I like unintentionally like broken these cultural norms and there were like no norms for like how I was supposed to be and how church was supposed to look for me. I just got to figure out what worked. And, <laughs> and I spent too much time in my twenties trying to like fit into the box of like what church was supposed to look like. And now I was like, no, this is, I'm, this is what it's going to look like for me. Like, this is like, I'm going to just be a single person. I'm going to, I'm going to attend. I'm going to worship. I'm going to serve. And I'm going to see my singleness as a strength and not as a deficit. And that w- that was really beautiful. So it was nice to like have those norms just like be shattered. Uh, and so I just move forward in the way that, that worked best for me that I, that I was navigating with God. I love that. I feel like that has been the biggest benefit of being of turning 30 or being in my 30s for me is that I've become much more comfortable with who I am mm-hmm. and what I want, what I'm about. And there's much less of a much less pressure to fit a certain mold or be what other people might expect of me to be. There's still the pressure for sure. But yeah, yeah I love that like settling into yourself and then there's like some freedom there to just continue to thrive in a way that's authentic to you. So yeah, it's really cool. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it, it's given me like the, the, the freedom to just say, this is what I want to be. And this is what yeah. I want to do. And that's been so, so, so nice. And yeah. I've, just, I've been really, really lucky to have leaders who have just, you know, embraced me and loved me and, and given me the opportunities to be me. I, uh, you know, this is a story I share in my book. Um, I, I was called to be on the high council and a stake here in Provo. And when the stake president called me, he said, you know, Ben, we're not calling you to be the gay high counselor, but <laughs> you, you can talk about being gay as little or as much as you want. We trust you. Uh, and then he said this, he said, and if anyone gives you any guff, they're going to have to deal with me <laughs> and, and send them to me and I will talk to them. And so not only what did I, did I feel, you know, spirit led to be open and honest, but I also felt approval from my leaders and protection from my leaders. Yeah. And what a wonderful example of being a a good advocate. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel like that leader backing or leader support is huge because there is a bit of, they do have a little bit of power there in terms of like directing people's experiences to some degree. Not all the power, obviously, but they do. Yeah, there is that impact that comes from leadership. I am curious about times where you've had to do a little bit of advocacy for yourself or for others in your community. Uh, whether it's working with like a bishop, state president, others like in a place of power or leadership and how you approach that. 
Yeah. You know, the, the first time I, I felt like I was you know, advocating myself for myself as an LGBTQ liar saint who felt like I didn't always have a place uh, was when I was living in Tucson. So after I came out publicly, I, you know, I started the support group. But the first thing I did, well, I'd, I'd gotten all these, like after coming out of my blog, I got all these messages from strangers who were also gay in the church. And I responded to all of them, but they lived in these far-flung places. I thought, well, I can't do much to help so-and-so in Alabama or so-and-so in St. George, but there must be other gay members here in my stake. Maybe I can help them. So I reached out to my stake president and said, I was like, hey, I want to start this group. There are people who are lonely. They're sad. We need to connect. And I told them about this group called the Genesis Group that had been started in the 70s for Black members of the church. And they got together once a month. They got to worship together, you know, pray, sing, have talks, and, and just be with people with similar experiences. I said, mm-hmm. I want a group like that for the LGBTQ members of our stake. And he said, well, let's talk about that. Let's see if we can make that happen. And ultimately, we found out it couldn't be sponsored by the stake. But he said, Ben, I really want you to do this. And I'm going to assign a high counselor to work with you. And so we met in this high counselor's house, um, you know, once a month for two years and just like had the most beautiful, wonderful time. So I was able to say, this is what I want to see happen. And this is what, what I'd like to do. Can we do this thing? And not only did he give me permission, uh, but, but he, he gave me resources Mm -hmm. and, and, you know, another way I've had to advocate is by correcting misconceptions and, and assumptions that just aren't true about LGBTQ people. And I found that there are, there are two, two kind of principles to think about, you know, when I, when I want to correct someone or, or teach them that might say something that's wrong um, in, in a church setting, you know, that Jesus said that, he, um, I think this might be the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, he says, if, if, if your brother offend thee, go between him and thee alone. Hmm. And the best teaching really happens one-on-one. And so if I really want to want to talk to someone about, you know, a misconception they have, the best way to do that is one-on-one. And that starts with me first listening to them and saying, hey, I, I heard this thing. Could you help me understand it? You know, where are you coming from? And just really understanding their perspective and saying, hey, is it okay if I share my perspective? And that's usually how the best teaching happens. Then the other thing that has helped me is, so if I want to teach that person, one-on-one is the best. But when something unkind is said, there are other people in that room who are also hearing it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, wondering, okay, what can I say to signal to the other people in the room that I'm safe, uh, that they're heard and understood? And I found the best way to do that is I'll just raise my hand and say, uh, you know, I've got a, a perspective that builds off of that, or I have an, al- an alternative perspective. Um, so I'm not saying what that person said is terrible and homophobic. You know, that, that doesn't do any good. But I say, you know, thank you for your comment. I've got a different perspective or, mm-hmm. um, or, or building off of what so-and-so just said. And mm-hmm. then I can jump into the, the other people in the room, um, feel heard and loved and understood. So th- those are the two principles that have really helped me be like, learn how to advocate is how can I teach someone one-on-one? And then how can I help people know that they're safe and heard? Yeah, I love that you provided some language that could be used like, yeah, I have an additional perspective or, yeah. And then the one-on-one. Yeah. I actually was reminded of your episode. It was either the season or the season before you had a man from Arizona um, who works in some sort of like LGBTQ advocacy group. He's in the church and he works with different church congregations, not just our church. Yeah, Michael Uh, Stengel, I believe, is who you're thinking of. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And I feel like that was his approach too. Like you do a lot of listening. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have any other resources, other, other episodes or things that you'd recommend for those who are. Yeah. Um, there, there's this, uh, well, I would love to recommend my own stuff, but yeah, um, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I, I'm just kidding. Well, I would, but uh, I'm going to recommend other things that I didn't do. Uh, there's this great Ted talk uh, by a woman named Celeste Headley. 
and it's called 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation. So Celeste Headley, 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation. It is awesome. And the principles she she shares are timeless and amazing. And the other thing I'd recommend, it's a Wall Street Journal article called, are you worried about it? No, it's called worried about a difficult conversation. Here's advice from a hostage negotiator. And just walks through these Mm -hmm. principles of how to have difficult conversations. And it is really good. I I have all my, I I teach a diversity class at BYU. And Mm -hmm. I have all I have all my students uh, listen to that TED talk and then read that article. And then we practice the principles and then throughout the semester. Ooh, I'm going to check those out. Oh, wow. They're really good. Uh, and they're both short. Like, like the TED yeah. talk is like less than 10 minutes. The article is like a five minute read. They're amazing. Nice. Yeah. Oh, amazing. Now, Ben, do you have any advice for people who want to say something, but maybe they have a fear of speaking up? Yeah. Um, there's, uh, you know, we, we get a lot of good messages from the hymns. And uh, one of the hymns is, if we do what's right, we have no need to fear, for our Lord, our, our helper will ever be near. And so if, you, if you're feeling prompted to do something, you just got to do it, even if you're scared to do it. Uh, you know, before I came out to my two best friends when I was 23 years old, you know, I was very closeted, very afraid to tell anyone, you know, this was back in 2007. And the world was so different back then. Mm-hmm. Like it was, it was so much harder to come out back then. There just weren't that many out people in the church. And this feeling would bubble up inside of me all the time that I had to say something like I like I was like, I need to tell someone and I would just push it away and push it away because I was afraid. And and then finally got to a point where I would like I was with my two best friends and then this feeling bubbled up inside of me. I tried to push it away. And God just said, I orchestrated the situation so you couldn't tell them. Oh, wow. And so I would say we just have to honor the Holy Ghost prompting us and and learn what that feels like and so when something happens and we're scared yeah of course we like we ha- we're called to do scary things yeah. uh but when we're but when the holy ghost is prompting us to do something that's hard or scary we just gotta do it and trust that that when we do what's right we have no need to fear because this is christ's work that's great awesome thank I'm, you ben i feel like yeah fear is not a sign that you need to retreat maybe it's even a sign that you're doing something right or headed in the right direction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You see something that needs to be changed. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right, should we ask our next question? Yeah. All right. So how do you advocate for positive change in your ward and or stake? Yeah. Um, so this is what I've learned. And there, there's this principle that, that uh, President Ballard taught at BYU in 2017. He gave a devotional in November, 2017. He said, we need to listen to and understand what our LGBT brothers and sisters are feeling and experiencing. Certainly, we must do better than we've done in the past so that all members feel they have a spiritual home where their brothers and sisters love them and where they have a place to worship and serve the Lord. So he said, he gave two big invitations. He said, to listen and understand. You know, those are the two big invitations. Then he says, certainly, we must do better than we've done in the past. And as we listen and understand, all people will feel they have a spiritual home where they're loved. And so, uh, you know, the, the, this principle of Zion is that we're people of one heart and one mind. So how do we advocate? We let people see our hearts. We let people see what, what, what's in our heads. And as we do that, that's how we build Zion. And so for me, advocacy hasn't been saying, hey, let's do X, Y, and Z. I mean, sometimes it looks like that, but mostly it's not. It's just, hey, I want to see your heart and I want you to see my heart. And so it's this principle of proximity, you know, getting, getting close to people who are different. And so for me, it's really come down to letting people see my heart and encouraging other people to be able to share their hearts as well. You know, it says in in Mosiah that the people of Alma had their hearts knit together in unity and love. And so that that's really where it comes from. And then every once in a while, I'll feel this prompting to do something. So, you know, like I said, I work at BYU 
And in the summer, uh, it was like the fall, no, it was, it was the spring of 2021. So this was um, almost two years ago now. Um, I really wanted to do something to help students feel like they belonged. And so I had this idea to do this big concert called BYU Belong. And I brought it up to my boss and everyone in my upline. I was like, I want to do this concert. And here's my proposal. And they said, okay, you can do it. And then the whole point of the, the, the concert was like have musical groups to like come perform, like to bring people so they could have fun. But then the whole point of it was I, I invited 10 people from the BYU community to have these little video vignettes uh, filmed about them. And you know, we had uh, a Muslim student and a student of color and an international student and an LGBTQ student and a student with mental health struggles. And we had a straight white guy, you know, uh, someone like represented, I wanted to like represent as, as many people at BYU as possible. And we had all eight of them, you know, share these stories throughout the night. And then uh, at the end of the night, they all came up on stage and we gave them a gift and then everyone applauded for them. And what I wanted people to see was, uh, if you share your story, you will be applauded. Like, that's yeah. what I wanted, you know. And so I had this big idea, and then they let me do it. And it was awesome. You know, 5,000 people came. It was so great. That's incredible. And, you know, did the world change that night? It didn't. But did something <laughs> change and have a great time? Of course. And it mattered to a lot of people. And so, you know, I, so my, my message is always share your hearts, listen to the hearts of other people, and then see what things you feel prompted to do, and then act on those things. Mm -hmm. Mm. Let God give you some ideas and you can roll with. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a big believer that the best ideas haven't been thought of yet. You know, people say to me, well, what do I do about this or this or this or this? And I'm like, you know, I don't know, but God does. And maybe you'll be inspired to do something that no one's ever thought of that will be Uh Mm-hmm. And maybe, you know, too, you're just, it's just scary or, you know, <laughs> yeah. 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 Ben, you talking about that event that you organized and you saying that, you know, it didn't change the world. But in my mind, I thought it maybe it didn't change the world. But for, for a moment, that was, that was Zion for those people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that. A, a, a place where people can become one and be of one heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can I ask a little bit about pushback, <laughs> bringing it down here? <laughs> of course. Um, yeah, when you receive pushback, which I know you do, what do you do about that? Yeah, um, you know, it depends on my mood. Sometimes I get pushback and I get sad. Um, sometimes I get pushback and I feel really mad. Yeah. And sometimes I get pushback. And I'm like, you know what? They don't understand, and I don't, and I ignore it. Uh, you know, pushback comes from different kinds of places. If I get pushback from some stranger on the internet. Um, that's not usually something I try and put a lot of stock into because, you know, they don't know me and they just said an unkind thing and whatever. Yeah. Um, but, but I, I do think it's very important to listen to the people in my life and take feedback from them mm. because, you know, as pure as my heart is, as much as I'm trying my very best to do good and be good, I'm going to get it wrong. Like I'm definitely going to get going to get it wrong. And so I need, I need that kind of, of feedback from people. Um, but the truth is, if we listened to the the pushback and let that guide us, then nothing would ever happen. And my, my favorite quote comes from a Dr. Seuss book uh, called The Lorax. And it says, unless someone like you cares a whole awful lot, nothing is going to get better. It's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'll, I'll just give you one example. There is a guy who um, uh, has some concerns about the podcast I do with Charlie. You know, it's, it's called mm-hmm. Questions from the Closet. And Great he's, podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was Oliver. He was the one who was upset. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and uh, someone wrote an article um, that was published online about how dangerous our podcast was, and then emailed us be like, "Hey, just want to let you know that I wrote that I wrote this thing about you guys." And I was like, and I I was upset. I was like, "Yeah, you know, first of all, say whatever you want, but if you're going to write about us, like, come talk to us first. Yeah, share like, sure your concerns with us, but before you just like like slam us online. Yeah. Um, and so I was upset, um, and I tried to express that in an email. And he didn't care. Like he didn't, it, it, what I said didn't really land. Um, so I said, we should get together sometime. Let's get dinner. And then we met up for dinner and had a lovely time. And I feel like we parted as friends. Mm-hmm. And we, I mean, we still don't see, I mean, I think most of our core values are the same. Like, I think we see most things the right. same, we see some significant things differently, but we were able to listen to one another and have a good conversation. And I sincerely wish him the best. There's this this book that we read a few chapters of in my class. It's called Love Your Enemies. Mm-hmm. And it's about how America's by it's by Arthur Brooks, I believe. Yeah. And he's got this uh, really good story where I think it was a friend from high school read read one of his books and then wrote him an email and and said, uh, and just like 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 trashed his book and said, I disagree with the following things and like and 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 just didn't like his books. Then Arthur is responding to his email and he starts to like rebut everything he's saying and tell him why he's wrong. And then he has this like light bulb moment where he's like, oh my gosh, this guy read my book. And so <laughs> and so he deletes the email. He just says, Thank you for reading my book. Like, thank you for taking the time to read my book. And the, then the guy responds and says, Oh, sorry, I probably I overreacted a bit. We should get lunch the next time I'm in town. And then they then they do. Oh and, my so, gosh. and so one of the things I try and do is just find a place to be grateful for them. You know, um, like if, if someone says, Ben, I feel like what you're doing is damaging the church. You know, where are they coming from? They love the church. And yeah. We that, but they, they're coming from a really good place. Yeah. And if, if someone says to me, Ben, you're hurting LGBTQ people by staying in that bigoted homophobic institution, which is our, which is an exact quote. Uh, <laughs> you know, wh- what do they care about? They care about the health and well-being of LGBTQ people. And that's a good thing, too. Yeah. Um, so I, I try and I try and be grateful for people and whenever possible form relationships with them. Mm. I love that you talked about just that you offered getting lunch with that person is amazing. I'm sure that was scary and uncomfortable in some ways. Um, and I love that you highlighted that the the commonalities and the shared goals are like are there for sure, <laughs> like stronger than any differences. So that's so important. Yeah. And all because you were willing to listen to these people that didn't necessarily agree with you at first. I feel like that's a big proponent in this is just being able mm-hmm. to listen to others, especially in the mid-singles world where there's such a modgepodge of individuals that have, whether they are divorcees, whether they have disabilities, if it's mental or physical, people of color, people of the LGBTQ community, you know, there's just, there's such a mix mm-hmm. of of individuals in the mid-singles ward and we're all different and we all come from different you know yeah. backgrounds different political pers- persuasions yeah. different cultures yeah, yeah. if yeah. We we're all just more willing to listen to one another i think mm-hmm. that would definitely strengthen the mid-singles ward family absolutely and, and I, I just want to add and i think you're exactly right oliver i just want to add you know this is something i strive to do but that i'm definitely imperfect at um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean, yeah, who is perfect at it? Yeah, I'm expressing the idea of be grateful when someone criticizes you. <laughs> That's easier to say than to actually do. Oh my gosh. Yeah, most definitely. Yeah, it, it does feel so intense in the moment, but looking back, like, yeah, there is that gratitude and that appreciation. Just to kind of wrap it up, I feel like we've talked about this throughout, but we wanted to ask about creating a safe and welcoming place at church. I think we've had a lot of ideas here. I'm wondering if you have any others. 
Yeah, um, there's there's something that Elder Holland has done twice. That I think it's just such a good example. In his October 2015 talk, um, he talked about mothers, and you know, the talk was about mothers. And then he told the story about a, a missionary who came home early who was gay. And then he had this little throwaway line that was, "He didn't change, and no one expected him to." Hmm. You know, his talk was about mothers, and but then he mentioned this nice thing about LGBTQ people. And when he said that, my phone lit up because what he said mattered so much to people. Mm. And, and, uh, and then he did the same thing in, in April, 2017. You know, he talked about uh, how there's room for everyone in God's choir. And then he listed different groups of people who have room in God's choir. And one of those groups was, was LGBTQ people. You know, we have room mm-hmm. in God's choir. And so, um, so I think one of the best ways we can do is just like talk about different groups of people in natural, organic and positive ways. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I remember getting up to bear my testimony in, in the ward ones. And I just felt like, you know, instead of saying good morning, brothers and sisters, I just felt like I should say good morning, sisters and brothers, which is such <laughs> a small thing. Two people texted me and said how much that meant to them. Oh, and I love that. This little thing. And so, you know, I just try and talk about people in, in different circumstances and, and in different ways. And, and, and so I think the more we can just, as we talk in church uh, and in our peer groups, just talking about people who are different in natural, organic, and positive ways is going to help people feel safe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that idea of the inclusive language. Like, I think there's plenty of times where we just talk about the stereotypes, like maybe you talk about a career and you are just talking about men or you're talking about women and making that synonymous with motherhood or something where it's not always, you know, so just like finding ways to be inclusive men and women, um, you know, and every background age, whatnot. So yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's a great takeaway. This has been so fun talking with you. I've also been admiring your hair, like being a little more silver. Yeah, like yeah. Silver, silver well, the, fox the, is strong. The way I'm sitting under the light, it's really accentuating the gray. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah. I love it. The the graceful aging, like yeah, you got it. <laughs> Looking great. Like tan frames. That's all I want. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh. Goals <laughs> oh my for gosh, sure. Yes. Oh yeah, he's beautiful. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Right. I don't watch the show, but I know who that is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tan <laughs> Just quick story about my about my gray hair. Since I have so much gray hair, people often think I'm older than I am. I'm 39. And yeah. This fan of the podcast came at my office, and she was like, "Blah blah blah." People our age, and and she's like, "Wait, how old are you? You must be a few years older than me." And I said, "I'm 39." She's like, "Oh, I'm 50." So <laughs> <laughs> like gray hair, like wearing a tie at work. So I just looked very mature. So. Oh, I love that. My boyfriend's my age, but he's quite a bit gray. And recently he was at the store buying something and someone asked if he got the senior discount. So oh, <laughs> no. so awful. So I love it. Yeah, but I like it. It's good, good hair color. I don't care what color it is as long as it stays in. So yeah, yeah, for sure. And people, we have people like Tan France making it really like yeah, making it look good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love Tan that. France and Ben Chalati. Ben Chalati, yeah, <laughs> another icon. <laughs> okay, well, this has been wonderful. I think my biggest takeaways are the listening for sure, taking time one on one to understand each other, not just to make our points known. Um, and then the inclusive language at church, like how you talk about different people and. Um, not just the stereotypes, but, you know, everyone who might be there that day or in future days. Yeah. Listening and being more accepting of one another. Yeah, absolutely. 